0: you <laughs> Hi, I'm Dave Swordlick from Uptown Podcast Studios, located in Uptown Minneapolis, and Story Cub Video Picture Books. But more importantly, I am a proud member of Ed North, an EdTech meetup group located in the cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul in Minnesota. If you're in the education technology space, uh, don't be a cuckoo and head on over to ednorth.org and join up. That's right. If you're not a member, ednorth.org has all the information, and it is free. Our guest on this podcast is Angie Eilers, CEO and founder of Year Turn. That's U R space T U uh, R N. Year Turn is a national science foundation, an AT and T award-winning edtech company, providing a goal setting and progress tracking app for high school students and their families we're going to learn about that and you never know where this podcast is going to go well this one it takes a little detour to central america nonetheless angie eilers and she knows her stuff on the ed north EdTech podcast <laughs> It is Angie Eilers, PhD. Welcome to the Ed North EdTech Podcast.
1: Thank you, Dave. Nice to be here.
0: It's great to have you. All the guests seem to be smarter than me. I, as well as I'm sure uh, listeners, are getting ready to be educated about your career, about what you're doing now. You've been involved in EdTech startups. Let's start off. Are you Minnesota native?
1: No, actually, I was raised in Wisconsin, the Madison area, Madison, Wisconsin area, and moved to the Twin Cities about 20 years ago.
0: Okay. I got your PhD at the University of Wisconsin. Wisconsin in Madison. Also, the executive education program at Harvard Kennedy School. And if that's not enough, Lawrence University, you have a being in government international studies, right? Yep. So you graduate college, and all these job offers are coming at you, or they're not. <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, you can imagine with a a government degree and an emphasis on international studies, there weren't uh, a lot of jobs in that area. And my interest was at the time to get involved with the U.S. State Department or the Agency for International Development. And I picked up and moved to Washington, D.C., right out of college and hit the pavement, tried to secure a, a position D.C. is a very well-connected town. You have to be pretty well-connected to just walk into jobs like that, and they prefer master's degree from Georgetown and things like mm-hmm. that. But I did eventually work for a subcontracting agency to be uh, international development. I'm fluent in Spanish, so that helped. And it was it was a great entree into that field that I thought I wanted to have for the rest of my career. But I'll tell you, Dave, it was... A real turning point was we lived in DC for three years. My um, husband and I bought a nineteen seventy-two Volkswagen van and decided nice. to drive to Central Yeah, drive to Central America and do our own kind of international development. So we lived in uh, various parts of Central America for a full year and learned a great deal more about what really is involved with international development. I learned that I needed a greater depth of knowledge on a particular area, either the justice system or infrastructure or health system or education. That's true development, right? Is when you invest and build on the nation's places and, and invest in its people. So that's when I started thinking more and more about education, that it was clear that really any kind of economic development, any kind of development is built on a really solid foundation of an educated population. I replied for my PhD program from the back of that Volkswagen van.
0: (laughs) Through uh, Ethernet?
1: Paper and paper and pen. Oh, that's right. That's right. (laughs) That's how
0: we used to That's how we used to apply for jobs. When you were down there, did you run into any kind of political issues or things that you thought, well, maybe I shouldn't be here right now?
1: Yeah, and not to get too off track of our topic today, but it was after the Civil War that Nicaragua had gone through with the Sandinistas emerged and were trying to run the country. And that's where we were headed was Nicaragua, where we thought we could do some building health clinics and that sort of thing. And we were woefully naive to think you can just walk into these foreign countries and be of any help. But we were never fearful. I can honestly say in the whole year when we, we went from Baja California, down to Panama and back. We didn't encounter anything. uh, Lovely people, really beautiful countries, beautiful people. So then I applied to graduate school at the University of Wisconsin, and a lot. We moved back to Madison, and uh, my husband also went back to graduate school because his observation after a year in Central America again back to what what are the areas of progress and development need to be made. He got a degree in wind and solar renewable energy technology, and he's been doing that work to this day. And I got my Ph.D. in education. To this day, I'm still in education, but I realized, boy, there's a whole lot of work to still be done in the United States, never mind some of these emerging countries, emerging economies. The United States still has quite a few problems uh, to address in education. So I've been in domestic education, meaning U.S.-based this whole time and the whole foreign affairs state department lifestyle thing kind of faded away.
0: I keep thinking about this school year because of COVID and the unengagement and the unconnection between uh, students and and peers in in the classroom, whether they're doing it online or whatever. Do you have a feeling that they could be missing a year of school that Mm -hmm. maybe you're in 10th grade and next year you're you should be in 10th grade.
1: Yeah, I really do hope school districts are going to utilize the summer for quite a lot of recovery, requiring students to recoup on the credits they may have missed because of failing a course. We really got to, as a country, continue to take care of students and educators throughout the summer in terms of funding the situation and making sure they're safe. But yeah, there's a lot of lost learning. Some kids are flourishing. Some kids, this idea of logging on and working remotely and doing it just like the rest of us have sort of adopted to working remotely. Some kids have just adapted and they're flourishing and other kids are struggling. So we're seeing, I'd say, and I am I think that this is very well uh, noted, it's putting a spotlight on the glaring inequities in our country, equity in terms of access to Technology, access to support, it's very uneven in the United States, quite uneven.
0: Yeah. And we're supposed to be cutting edge and have everything. And you know, I think people around the world have that impression as well, but it's, yeah, I, I agree. It's not, it's not true. So you had your fun. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> let, let's start with Sophia Learning, an ed tech company. You were vice president of academic outcomes. How did this all start?
1: So um we moved to the Twin Cities and I had been doing research for for years um nearly 20 years when my brother who was with Capella University for many years had this idea to start the company Sophia Learning which is a peer-to-peer tutoring platform and he asked me to help them launch the company because of my background in and academics. And what was the role exactly? Well, the idea of of tutoring kids at at all sorts of levels on all sorts of subjects are generally tied to academic standards and uh, what most school districts are measuring student success on. So I helped implement kind of a core backbone, if you would, to the curriculum that all of these different tutorial units were associated with. It's a little wonky, not all <laughs> interesting perhaps, but Sophia Learning was for students to, to log on and get extra help on anything from Algebra 1 to how to write a composition paper. And the tutors made pre-recorded videos, uh, and in some cases interactive videos, about how to convey to students just trouble spots, help them get over trouble spots. Some Some topics are very... Common, algebra is a perfect example, and calculus and such, those are very common areas where a student just needs a little more help on, on a particular unit or subunit of the subject. And it's not always access to after-school programs or uh, help at school. So there's so much now, of course, online, so many great resources and tools online. And it certainly has come in handy during this pandemic because Students have turned to what I call the University of Google and looked things up and they invariably find some some helpful little YouTube video clip or something where they're getting a little extra help online. It's it's a really interesting and exciting time.
0: Uh, Sophia, learning, it sounds like, was way ahead of having stuff available online.
1: Yeah. give credit to my brother and his insight on that. And there were... Similar, uh, there are and were similar products out there. The the publishing industry, for example, knew that they had to move from textbook to online. It's, It's been a slow pivot toward online for, oh gosh, well over a decade. And I think what's interesting about this period, 2020 with the pandemic, is a lot of stuff was there in the background, even Zoom, right? It was always there in the background, but boy, it's never been more employed than now when we're all turning to uh, the university of Google and trying to find what we need. And then fortunately, a lot of platforms including video conferencing platforms and educational platforms, they were, they were there and they were, it's a burgeoning thing, but I think now it's just front and center. And now we all know more than ever about how to turn to online resources and make the most of it. Why did you leave
0: Sophia learning
1: I also was thinking about my own product, idea, as a matter of fact, so the company Your Turn that I started, I had the kernel of the idea back at that time when I was working with my brother, and he worked work with us for a little bit learn about EdTech, and then and it was time for me to try my hand at starting my company.
0: And in between, you were Director of Regional Outreach and Education for the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis, and Art Rolnick... I've uh, had several meetings with him, who is just a great guy. He used to be at the, uh, the connection is, he, mm-hmm. he he was a researcher at, at the Federal uh, Reserve Bank of yep. Minneapolis, and he, yep. you know, his passion is early childhood education.
1: Art and I did some research, actually. Yeah, we knew each other before. I started at Sophia Learning. We did a conference together where I featured his research, and I uh, put together a proposal for the state of Minnesota, which included his research. So I was very well aware of his research as the director. He was the vice president of research at the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. And, you know, I am a, a trained researcher, so that, that those years at the Federal Reserve Bank for me were Community level research, which I, I love, but it was also a great day job so that I could work on my startup on nights and weekends.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I just want to mention, Art Rolnick uh, is a senior fellow at the University of Minnesota Humphrey Institute of Public Affairs. Just is passionate about early childhood yes. education, and his belief is if you fall behind in kindergarten. You're already kind of losing it, so you really want to educate children as early as possible so right. let's go to your let's go to your turn you are and then uh, space t u r n you are the CEO and founder
1: your turn is an education guidance app for high school students so I kind of call it the fitbit for education goal setting and and progress tracking so it allows students to set goals, high school graduation and beyond, and then we track their progress toward those goals all through high school. And if they get off track, we nudge and alert both them and their the students and their families so that they get an early heads up about getting off track and then they'll have time to make a course correction and hopefully graduate high school on time, which is still an issue for 20% of Americans. And then ideally to aspire to post-secondary two-year or four-year degrees or a career and technical education pathway. And we do this by plugging our app into existing data warehouses and school districts. So the data is sitting there statically, and we make it more dynamic and interactive for the students, their families, and the, and the educators by uh, providing data analytics and data visualization.
0: You started this in April of 2017. Um, Were there any pivots along the way?
1: Well, 2020 certainly has forced a lot of hands, right? So we are pivoting a bit right now. There's Just as we were speaking about earlier, there are a lot of kids who are getting off track because of this this lost year, this terrible year. And the career and technical education option is a really viable and uh, area of interest for not only the students and their families, but the federal government, the state governments. They're really wanting to point out students that taking some career and technical education c- courses in high school and associating that with program options and two year community technical and community colleges is a really viable and affordable option. So, that's, that's, I think we're putting a heavier emphasis on that right now because there's such demand.
0: Did you create U-Turn uh, with the uh, funds you had on your own? It was
1: it was an idea, of course. You want to test it in the market. You want to have some kind of market validation or signal that there's something there. And again, having a background in research, I was aware of the National Science Foundation's Small Business Innovation Research Fund. And that fund is used for uh, research-based ideas that have a commercializable product. So. I was fortunate enough to win one of those research awards. And that was the initial funding to launch the company and to do customer validation and customer discovery and that sort of thing. And we built a prototype. And even with the prototype, we were getting positive indications from school districts that, yeah, they saw the value and they were interested. So from year 1 we had customers lined up so that was exciting.
0: Absolutely. Uh so how many school districts are you working with right now?
1: Uh we're in 3 states for a total of about 13-15 school districts. Not so big right now. Last year was really a lost year.
0: Uh, yeah, it it certainly was. So how many employees? How many people do you have working?
1: Well, that also changed in 2020. We were staffed up, but I was not sure what the what the situation was going to to be like. So, uh, my, my folks moved to contract and um, I now contract them hourly just to monitor the budget until we get to the other side of this pandemic.
0: That makes sense. There's a lot of school districts, from my understanding, in these United States. What are you looking at next to grow and expand?
1: Well, I'm in an official partnership with one of these data warehouse companies, and they happen to be in states like North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, and Arkansas, and Delaware. So I am am looking toward those states because the partnership makes that easier. Well,
0: Angie, it sounds like a, like an amazing career you've got going on. You are certainly an entrepreneur. You're in education and technology. These school districts, it sounds like the feedback you're getting is good. Is it hard to get students and parents? It's not really your job more so than the school district, I think, to get parents to use these tools.
1: There have been a lot of technology tools that have always kind of been hovering in the background, but this year brought a lot of things to the front and parents in particular last march and and the start of the school year last September regularly saying, "What do I need to know? What should I be focusing on? Where is my kid on their trajectory what what should I be paying attention to so I think that's that's why our product is resonating with the schools and now with tighter uh, engagement with families. and they you know, families are really paying attention. It's, it's been a nice fit.
0: So, the, yeah, they're tuned in more and mm-hmm. can follow along. Sounds like a great tool. And your online experience going back to Sophia Learning, you know, in 2010, you have seen all of this technological, specifically education, growth. And so where do you see it going in general? from here are we setting ourselves up for a a non-classroom type of situation i mean they're already doing it in college
1: there's never it's never been a good idea to to assume that to assume that one size fits all that's that's kind of why we've been losing kids is that with the in-person monday through friday seven to three model, it just assumes that that works for everybody. And it works for a grand majority of people, but there are a lot of students who fall through the cracks. So I think what what we're learning now is for those kids who are flourishing online and would prefer it, it's possible that they may uh, continue to do that. That's a student's choice. There are plenty of virtual high schools. There have been virtual high schools for a long time. And some kids are going in that direction. Some realize they really are dependent on the face-to-face contact and that they do need to be physically engaged in a a, a space dedicated to learning. Not all homes are conducive to learning at home. So it's never going to be a one-size-fits-all. I think we're going to see some things are going to stick. Some people are going to be great about recording their video lessons and sharing them with kids, even if they teach Face to face, they might record their lecture or their class and say, you know, log on at home and watch this lecture again tonight if it's helpful to you. So there'll be some really great takeaways from this experience. We we do have to worry about the kids who need to recover from this year. They did they get did slide back, uh, but there's great variability among our student population. They're just that that's just it's always been the case, and I think that this experience of the pandemic just, like I said, put a spotlight on those. That unevenness, even more so.
0: It looks like you, you're on, you're on a nice path. Let's all get out of this COVID. Everyone, be safe and smart. And any final words from you uh, about education and technology that you have learned that you could share or encourage people who have an idea about uh, something because you had an idea and you made that idea into a reality.
1: Well, that's a big question. I'll just take a small part of it, and that is that the that um, I think there has been a slow embrace of technology leading up to this pandemic, but I think there's greater appreciation for the variability that it can offer and that it can help individualize or personalize where students need particular uh, support. So I think the future is really going to be very bright for educational technology. And I think Uh, Some of the educators are going to come from out of this experience and turn into entrepreneurs. I really do think so. I think some classroom teachers are going to say, "Wow, I think I've come up to a solution that really I was really able to reach my kids in a way that they needed." And there will also be. And I got to put a shout out to my researcher friends. There's also an excellent opportunity here to capture what happened this last year, what can we, what are our lessons learned from this past year, and how can we take those lessons in really use them for the future there's some loss and there there's some gain so we've got to focus on what we gained and learn from it.
0: Angie Eilers thank you so much uh, for joining us here on the Ed North EdTech podcast CEO co-founder of Your Turn and uh, where can people reach out to you?
1: U-R-T-U-R-N yourturn.org and info at yourturn.org those would be two great ways to reach me.
0: Awesome. Thanks again for joining us on the Ed North EdTech Podcast. Thanks, Dave. Well, one last time, thanks again to Angie Eilers for being our guest here on the Ed North EdTech Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, head on over to ednorth.org. That's right, ednorth.org. Org. On behalf of the EdNorth EdTech Podcast, I'm Dave Swerdlick, and I'll talk to you soon.